not just about maximising the profit you get out, it's about um, hiding off your risk. The element of risk as well you mentioned is um, lenders especially like clean SPVs. You're not paying a good advisor for the advice they're going to give you, you're paying a good advisor for what they've seen go wrong elsewhere. Hello and welcome to the Property Developers Secrets podcast with myself, Lloyd Girardi, and not Andy Cook again. So there's a few um, episodes now there. We are interviewing people of our power team, people that we use, our professionals, um, and I'm delighted to say today that we're actually joined by our own accountant, uh, Mr. Rob Bowden. Uh, hello, everybody. So Rob is uh, going to be talking about tax. Obviously, with property development, this is a big subject that a lot of people talk about, uh, a lot of people ask, and frankly, a lot of people give bad advice sometimes. So uh, we're here to give you some tips, techniques, what you need to do when you're setting up a property development company, and a few things just to consider. So we'll talk things about holding companies, SPV, so special purpose vehicles, uh, and a few tax questions as well. So rather than me talk, Rob, people talking about development, setting up developments, um, what's some of the key things people need to consider? Uh, I think probably the first thing to do is get, get a decent quality advisor uh, in, involved early on. Um, so what you don't need to do is you don't need to do everything on day one, but there are certain basics that you need to get absolutely 100% correct in there. Uh, that's going to have a massive knock-on effect to your journey. Um, and the worst thing you can hear as an accountant is somebody saying, oh, I did this last week, and then you find out about it because unpicking it after the event is uh, prevention is always better than cure um, with these things. Yeah. So if someone's uh, just starting out with a uh, company, then they've got, the, they've got their property tax advisor uh, in place. Um, SPV, they just want to start a site, they've just bought a site, what's the next things for people to do? Yeah, so the first thing to say is um, you want to get your company in place nice and early on this, um, mainly because uh, the two things that will delay anything that you're doing, um, aside from solicitors, obviously, is going to be uh, banks and HMRC, which are two of the slowest organisations in the world. So the first thing you're looking to do, get a company set up, get it formed, get your bank account live, because that will then enable you to start getting things like a VAT registration if you need it, uh, start getting registered for the various taxes, but it's always much easier to, to get it set up on day one and then use it. Uh, and the cost of setting up a company um, and actually getting a group structure with a holding company isn't actually that expensive when there's nothing in there. Um, so it's relatively straightforward to do. Um, the setting of the company, we're talking holding companies at this point. Um, for those that may be not familiar with the term holding company, Simple way of explaining that. No problem. So SPV is a special purpose vehicle. It's typically a limited company, but it can be any form of method that you're doing for a property deal. It can be a straight partnership. It can be an LLP. Uh, typically, it's a limited company. Um, the holding company represents who owns uh, the SPV, um, which becomes quite relevant for tax purposes later on um, as a mechanism of releasing profits um, and getting money out of the company as you go on there. So the holding company literally sits at the top, and it's where the um, the individual investor would own their shares through this holding company in the SPV um, on there. Um, as I say, it has a, a number of tax advantages uh, later on in creating that structure. Yeah, and as you know, um, over time, me and Andy had various companies. Obviously, we've got the holding company, but we then had like a, um, a Simpson MK Limited company, which was a development site in Simpson in Milton Keynes. So we're not very creative with our SPV names. <laughs> we just want to know what that site is. So it's not like it's a public facing company and um, you're trying to sell to customers and clients and things like that. It's for us, basically. The SPV is for us. It's SPV Limited or whatever we call it. Um, but we had Simpson site. We had um, about four or five up in Cumbria when we had all our developments up there. We had loads of different SPVs. So all of those are owned pretty much by a holding company or shares of if we've got other partners involved as well. 
Uh, I think I said, and as I say, with SPVs, um, the temptation is, I think, sometimes on day one is we've seen people who've done three or four projects and they've put it all through one SPV company on there. Um, that can create you a number of issues. So um, what you're looking for is individual projects that might be financed in a different way to others. You're looking to hive off risk. And that's uh, that's the number one thing here is it's not just about maximising the profit you get out. It's about um, hiving off your risk. Likewise, what you don't need to do is set up um, overly complex structures for this where you do have a company for everything. Because if you're just simply buying buy to let for example, you can wrap those up in the same company and get the economy of wrapping it up all through there. So um, generally, you'd look at setting up an SBV where there might be an element of risk attached um, to what you're doing. And the element of risk as well, you mentioned, is um, lenders especially like clean SPVs because they're going to be putting a debenture on the company as well, which is kind of like a corporate guarantee type thing, isn't it? So um, lenders like a clean slate, clean SPV, they're the only lender involved. If you've got multiple sites in the company, it just, as you say, I'll get complicated and it's not recommended it's not recommended and as I say any any lenders looking at it and saying okay what can we secure against and individual projects you want to secure against individual um, items on that likewise if you're taking on private investment you'd like that investment to be contained within the SPV that's related to yeah Um, in terms of VAT that's a topic that gets talked a lot in new builds obviously new build elements if you're selling it VAT um, obviously applies but in a different way or doesn't apply even Um, and then what if you're doing a build to rent VAT, people are talking about you've got to charge it, but there's ways around that. Uh, there is. So if you're doing a um, build to rent, so starting with a, you're, you're building property from the ground up on there, um, you can have the construction services zero rated on it. So um, there's no VAT applies to those. Um, but if you go and buy the materials yourself and hand it over to a contractor, you're generally going to pay 20% on those materials. So you go down to Travis Birkins, they're going to charge you the VAT inclusive price. And if you're um, renting it out generally, there's no form of mechanism to reclaim that. If you can go to your contractor and you can get the contractor to provide the materials and provide the labour to you, they can effectively follow the service so it can be zero rated as well which substantially reduces your VAT. Um, Reason to say it's important, um, if you build a house and you sell it, your first sale is zero rated for VAT purposes so it has VAT on it but it is zero rated. If you build something and then begin to rent it out, that's exempt from VAT which blocks your ability to VAT reclaim so it's so important to make sure you do get any VAT that doesn't need to be charged is applied in that way. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, don't try and do all this yourself, basically, is what we're asking. You've got to speak to uh, your property specialist accountant as well, because not all accountants know property. Um, so just make sure you've got the right people and the right team in place as well. Um, let's look at finishing the development then. So if you're looking at doing a, a build to sell, there's going to be hopefully some substantial profit in the deal. What sort of tax implications are going to be uh, sort of looked at at that point? So yeah, so if you're coming to sell, then it depends on um, how you're selling, um, and this is where your holding company can kick in a little bit earlier. So um, uh, we've seen people who've come to the end of a development, and our advice has generally been go and get a jerry can and some matches and set it off for the insurance on it, which is, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm not recommending that, Um, certainly not on video. Um, But I think that what you've got then is it starts to become this is where you're setting it up right on day one. So we've seen examples of people who've done a 50-50 development. They've gone in with a partner. They are 50-50. They come to the end and they decide they want to sell the project. Um, What they've then both got to do is extract their money out of it. And somebody may not want to take their money out at that point and pay the taxes on it. So that's where having a holding company can become important because you can effectively take your share without paying the taxes um, until you dip into it. 
Um, if you come and you build to rent, this is again where it's so important to get it set on day one because um, you've got to make sure you can refinance the project. You want to roll forward any investment on there. Um, and likewise, you've got to make sure that you've, um, you've you've aligned all the bits and pieces before the sale. So if, you, if you're coming to the end of a project and you look at it and go, right, how are we going to divvy it up on sale? That's probably a conversation you should have had um, at the start of the project. And we do see an awful lot of that where we, we get involved towards the end of something um, and the die's already been cast on it. Yeah. So um, just there's a few other intricacies with tax. So tax is obviously a very specialist um, subject as well. But if you're looking at um, land or commercial buildings, if there's contamination like asbestos and things like that, then you can get the land remediation relief. Yep. So LRR, um, 150% relief against the cost of doing so. So quick explanation on that. Yeah. So if you buy um, land or you buy a building that's say got um, asbestos or Japanese knotweed, um, in there and if you have to spend say £10,000 uh, in order to get the site um, uh, up to a stage where it's no longer contaminated uh, that £10,000 will be taken out of your accounts effectively and replaced with a cost of 15000 so you get an uplift um, on the remediation relief so effectively there's an extra tax credit available for making the land um, or the building good on there which can have um, some quite significant um, savings. Awesome and so the other tax that people might be thinking about more so for commercial buildings the capital allowance tax? It is, yep. Um, what I would say with the capital allowance is, is that's something you do have a time limit on. So there is a, a three-year time limit. Uh, first thing to know is that you absolutely, um, when, a, when a commercial purchase first starts, something called a CPSE is completed. So the um, capital allowance is going to apply to commercial property um, and shared areas in HMOs. Um, important thing to say is that you've got to get it right on the actual purchase. So there is something called a CPSE form which goes between solicitors, which is a um, like a standard inquiry. And there's a section built into that on capital allowances and there's an election that you want to make in order to be able to reclaim any that are embedded in there. So again, get your accountant involved or your tax advisor involved early on in that process. Um, the capital allowances do represent an excellent saving, but what I would say, um, one thing we do see is people wanting to accelerate them on day one. and th- quite often the financing costs of um, trying to do something can outweigh the capital allowance benefit on there. So again, have a look, identify them by all means, but don't treat them as a magic bullet to save absolutely everything on this. There will be a saving, but they're not the saving I would focus on on day one. And this is why I think it's really important for people to think of the bigger picture rather than the specific tiny bits of trying to save because they've been to a network meeting and someone's told them capital allowance, you'll get loads of money back, but you've got to think the bigger picture. Yeah, I mean, we've seen someone who's able to do a capital allowance claim for about 50 grand um, and the tax saving on that is around £10,000 and it cost them 15 grand to bridge and complete early on it. So it's, it's, you look at it, sometimes the cost can just far outweigh it. Yeah, absolutely. So just finishing off um, this, obviously there's a lot of, um, I was going to say jargon, but that sounds like it's a harsh thing, but, Tax is a very complicated subject sometimes. Um, We're not the experts of it. This is why we get our experts in to help us with our tax positions. Um, But just finish off this podcast, any final bits of advice for people just to think about uh, as they're starting a property development journey? Okay, so the, the, the three things that I would say that come up with us right at the very start of a property development journey is, number one is do not let your bank account dictate your structure so again we've talked to people in the first instance where they've said oh um, okay I want a holding company I want an SPV and then they'll say oh no um, I want to change it because I don't want to pay £10 a month for bank charges if you're not comfortable with the idea of a £10 um, bank charge then you probably shouldn't be doing property development on that one because you are going to because there are things that come up invariably on there Um, second thing is involve an advisor early Um, there's nothing worse than an accountant sitting there and going well 
want of a better term, that's screwed, isn't it, um, on there because you look at it and then you are doing damage um, relief on there. Um, and the third thing I would say is, as I say, is talk to your advisors, be open with them, tell them exactly what you're trying to do. Um, on there because uh, a good advisor you're not paying a good advisor for the advice they're going to give you you're paying a good advisor for what they've seen go wrong elsewhere as well and what we know is right and the great thing is we get to see every single project everything that everybody does on it and we get to see who is actually making money who's who's doing this and the successful developers all have traits that follow um, on that and they all talk to their advisors openly cool I think that was two points and I think you said three points to finish on was that uh, a third? I, I think it was three I mean I'd I, Granted, I struggle to count without a calculator in front of me. So, you know, a tax account and, and uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, close enough on that one. Um, I, I think, as I say, the the third thing that I would say on there as well is if you find a good advisor and you are comfortable with them, stick with them. Um, there are a lot of good um, tax uh, accountants out there. There's a lot of good um, business advisors and accountants out there. And if you find somebody that you're comfortable with, then then stick with them. Awesome. So, look, main thing is speak to the experts. As we say, you are the conductor of the orchestra you are not going to be doing everything in a property development business. So don't try and do everything. Get your professionals on board early. Cheers, guys. Cheers.